Happy Friday, America. It is Amber and Ian on ESPN Radio, presented to you, of course, by Progressive Insurance. Ian Fitzsimmons is out today. He is covering Texas A&M at Tennessee in Knoxville, Tennessee. That kickoff in that game is at 3.30 Eastern tomorrow, so you will hear Ian on the call here on ESPN Radio. But in his place, Jonathan Zaslow. Hello. Hey, good to see you. Good to hear you. I'm glad to be aboard here tonight again. Baseball gave us a break. Okay, baseball has been taking over the slot all week long. I mean, how about baseball. you? I mean, uh, the, you're still you're still cashing those checks. You didn't you didn't work it all this week. Come on, I didn't. Uh, it's it's not a you know not a bad gig, Jonathan what Zaslow. A gig. Not what a, a bad gig. gig that I have here at ESPN Radio. But here's the problem. The hot takes have been festering inside of me now all week long. And I that happens no to outfits. me like when I would go on vacation, you know, it's like, I, I got to get back. I got too much to say, you know, <laughs> I'm like one of those crazy people. Do you do this? Because you and I have both been sports radio hosts for a very, very long time. And I like it so much and like to hear myself talk so much with my uh-huh. hot takes that I'll talk to myself in the car. Like if I, it's a week no, like this, you don't, I don't do, do that. that. No, oh, I a hundred percent do that. I, it's a week like this. I'm not on air. Okay. I can't talk to America. I can't get my takes out. I'll do you turn down around. your radio, whatever you're listening to. And, 100%. and, and you just, you're, you're doing the Amber show in the car going and I'm the only one there for it. I'm like, you know, I'm driving around. That I'm listening weird. to Greeny. I've been firing up the Pat McAfee show a lot lately. Never watched McAfee before he was here with us at ESPN, but been consuming a lot of McAfee lately, whatever it is. Yeah. They're talking about a topic, you know, on these other shows, Carlin and Joe, all these other shows. And it strikes me and I go and I turn to, I do. I, I turn do the Amber the show. Let me turn I, the radio down. Amber show starting in three, two, one. <laughs> So there you go. Be a part of Amber and Nina. Do you take commercial breaks? Uh, I do not take commercial breaks. Do you hit hard outs? (laughs) I do. Do you throw to sports flashes? I pretend that Harry Black is counting me down in my ear. Harry in the seat tonight for our producer, James Steele. Be a part of Amber and Ian Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Call us at 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It's not college football season without the delicious taste of a nice cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. I do Dr. Pepper reads in my car as well, just to keep... (laughs) The juice is flowing. The Broncos <laughs> and the Chiefs last night. Thursday night football. It was a wolf, Zaslow. It was a wolf. wolf. Listen, name a Thursday night game that hasn't been a wolf. I dare you. I dare you. I tell you. So the Chiefs, they won 19-2-8. Nobody cares about that. Was that Scorigami? Is 19-8 Scorigami? Very weird, right? Uh, nobody cares about that. But what we do care about, generally speaking, is the Kansas City Chiefs. And here's the weird thing about this Chiefs team. They're the Chiefs, right? They They're the sitting Chiefs. pretty in the AFC. They're sitting on the top of the AFC West. They've only got Five one loss one. on the season. And yet, they don't feel like the same Kansas City Chiefs that we've been watching the last couple of years in terms of dominance. So nope. here's my question for you then. Coming off of another barn burner that we had to watch on a Thursday night, are the Chiefs the best team in the AFC? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now look, there are three. I, I think... I would imagine everyone would agree we got three teams, right? There are three teams at the top of the AFC. Kansas City, Buffalo, Miami. Am I being disrespectful to anyone? Like like anyone that I left out there, is that is that disrespectful? I mean, you got a two-loss Baltimore team, you got a two-loss Pittsburgh team, Cincinnati's two and three. 
You got that entire AFC South. I don't know that anyone believes in anyone out there. I'm not being disrespectful when I say those are the three teams, right? Yeah, those so, are the three teams. And yeah. I mean, I think you couldn't question how good anybody even feels about any of those three teams, which is right. what's crazy about it. I think they all. I think all three of those teams that we agree are at the top of the AFC have their flaws. Buffalo's already a two-loss team, and they've tripped up against teams they should beat. Jacksonville in a neutral site, and the New York Jets the first game of the season. The Dolphins, obviously, if you want to make the case that Buffalo's better than them because, you know, they played and Buffalo beat them. Okay, I get that. And then you look at Kansas City, and here's the thing with me with Kansas City. Yes, they're 5-1. and one. They've won five in a row. But last night only confirmed what I've been feeling about the Chiefs the last couple weeks, last few weeks, Amber. This team does not have that same aura about them that they've had these last few years. They don't feel like this unbeatable team. They don't feel like this team that you're going to get into a track meet with. And coming from my perspective here, I'm down in South Florida. I mean, center of the sports universe, of course, Miami. But the Dolphins scored 70 on the Broncos. The Chiefs got to 19 last night with Patrick Mahomes. They scored 19 on, on, by the way, a short week and a team that was on the road the short week. So we know that team is usually at a disadvantage. And the Chiefs only mustered 19 against Denver, Amber. Like, to me, last night's game just confirms that I... If you want to make the case for Kansas City atop the AFC, fine. But this is this is not the Chiefs team that we've seen the last few years. Also not Scorigami, by the way. 19-8, oh. not Scorigami. It happened once before when... Once? Uh, once before in 1927. Oh, I remember. Yeah. That happened. You remember yeah. it well great game. there. Great game. Of, naturally so. Who, what wouldn't be a great game? As long as yeah. it wasn't on Thursday Night Football. If it was on Thursday Night Football... Not a great game at 19-8. But you're absolutely right with the way that they've been winning these games. Now, they did put up 31 on the Bears. Otherwise, all of these I think, games I think it was 40. I think they scored 41 against the Bears. They got 41. Sorry. 30, right. They won by 31 points. 41 41 to 10 over the Bears. That was really the only team that they've dominated so far this season. Now, we've seen that from the Chiefs before. In 2019, they battled through nine one-score games and then went on to, you know, win their first Super Bowl since 1969. So we have seen the Chiefs have great success, even if they're not blowing out all the teams along the way. Here's the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid, saying, though, they've got to be better. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, we strive for something better than we're doing right now. And, um, you know, we've got a good Charger team coming in here next. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll get back to the drawing board on this thing and we'll work to get better. I, I want to hear the coach who gives the sound butt like that. Listen, we got the Chargers coming in next week. They kind of suck, so we feel pretty good about our chances. <laughs> that, w- that would be if you gave him the truth serum, right? But if honestly, even with the truth serum right now, though, if you're Andy Reid, you're probably not loving it. You know, maybe maybe Taylor Swift's presence is helping a little take some of the eyeballs off the fact 
that the Chiefs don't look quite as dominant as they have looked the last couple of years. And the AFC feels wide open. And it's a weird yeah. season, Zaslow, because as we headed into this season, we kept talking about how stacked the AFC is and how we can't even find teams in the NFC that are going to be Right, good. by far I mean, the superior conference. But that's what's so bizarre. It's like now I think we all feel better about the 49ers, right? And maybe some people even feel better about the Eagles, although, frankly, I would put the Eagles in the same conversation as the Chiefs as a team that, although sitting at undefeated, hasn't been completely dominant week in and week out. Nevertheless, there are teams in the NFC you feel pretty strong about. You feel decent kind of figuring out that conference right now. In the AFC, there's a lot of questions, and I don't feel comfortable at all saying that the Kansas City Chiefs are still right now. I mean, I'm going to give them the crown as a team to beat because it's the Chiefs, and they've done it before, but that's the only reason. In terms of actually watching this team week in and week out, I otherwise wouldn't be giving them that crown if I hadn't seen it happen. You know what it feels like to me? This And look, give the Chiefs' defense credit. The Chiefs' defense has actually been really good this year. But the Chiefs' offense, to me, feels like what I think a lot of us thought it could have looked like last year. When they lost Tyreek Hill, oh, they're really going to suffer. And they were still firing on all cylinders. Like, whoa, they don't miss Tyreek Hill at all. This year's team, the offense that we see out of the Chiefs this year, feels like what we all thought we were going to see last year, you know? Yeah, I mean, they miss Nicole Hardman, right? Like, they miss, like it's like the receivers, like, we kept saying, oh, they're going to miss Tyreek so much. And somehow that hangover didn't hit last year when it was a receiver right. by committee. And now, with some of those receivers by committee that left and find themselves on other teams, all of a sudden, the receivers that have come in to replace them, if, if that is, in fact, the issue. It is a weird season, though, across the AFC. Right now, the Chiefs 5-1, and one, the Dolphins 4-1, and one, the Bills 3-2, and two, the the Jags 3-2, and two, a team that a lot of people felt good about. There's weird things in the AFC as well, like the Bucks are better than a lot of people thought. Or well, and the Steelers cool? technically are sitting atop that AFC North, too, 3-2 and two at the tiebreak over Baltimore, and they haven't even looked good. Like, that no. AFC black and blue division looks really weird. I mean, everybody in, in Pittsburgh wants to move on from Kenny Pickett already, and they're sitting atop their division. Nobody on the Baltimore Ravens can catch a football. That's a whole weird thing that's been happening. The AFC is strange, but it's making this season all that more interesting. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, we're incredibly interesting as well. Jonathan Zaslow filling in for Ian tonight. Are we heading towards a divorce for that other team that the Chiefs beat last night in the Denver Broncos? Amber and Ian's on ESPN Radio. From the first pitch of the wild card. The pitch. To the final out of the World Series. The 0-2. Swing and miss. And it is over. Hear every pitch of Major League Baseball's postseason on ESPN Radio. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on your smart speaker. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. 
The epic saga of war, passion, and power. FX's Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. Shotgun snap. Caught near side. Touchdown, Kansas City. Kadarius Tony on the quick out, and the Chiefs finally break down the door. Kansas City's got the football at the 25-yard line of Denver. Trent McDuffie puts the hit, and Willie Gay Jr. recovers the fumble. Our defense was incredible tonight, uh, as they have been. And then um, offensively, we, we got to take care of business in the red zone. more excited on 106.5 the wolf than frankly i expected them to be for that win over the denver broncos last night 19 to 8 the kansas city chiefs took it what does that mean that means that the denver broncos are sitting at one and five on this uh, on the season they're in position right now to pick within the first five picks of the 2024 nfl draft what does that mean that maybe means you know caleb williams probably gone Maybe it means Bo Mix, right? Maybe it means Shador Sanders, other quality quarterbacks that certainly will be near the top of this 2024 NFL draft. People in Denver are already looking ahead, Zaslow, because that's where the conversation is naturally going to go when you don't think Russell Wilson is the guy that can get it done. And something's got to change in Denver. Last night, Russell Wilson was 13 of 22, 95 yards, one oh. touchdown, two interceptions the numbers could not be uglier the performance frankly could not have been uglier and I have been saying all season long and it's been true up to this point Russell Wilson not the big problem for the Denver Broncos I'm totally with you this season so far but he appears to have been part of the problem totally with you (laughs) like like yesterday he was obviously terrible that's an unwatchable offense those are ungodly terrible numbers for a quarterback especially a veteran Super Bowl MVP caliber quarterback. It does the numbers don't even make sense. But for most of this season, he's been fine. He right. really has. Like the Broncos have been able to score. Last night looked like a disaster out there. And I I feel I, I gotta be honest. I feel bad for Russell Wilson. I feel like I feel like it's a little humiliating what's going on over there, Amber. I don't think his coach is doing him any favors, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't get it. Because if you're Sean Payton, you don't take the job when you have a pick of any open job in the NFL. And any open job next season and the season after that, and you have a cushy broadcasting gig in the meantime, you don't take the job if you think you can't get anything out of that quarterback. He chose that job. He chose that job and... He chose that quarterback. I mean, we yep. know he chose that job over, you know, New Orleans and the other jobs that were open. Could have had anyone he wanted. Right. But most importantly, he chose that job over what maybe one day will be an available Chargers job, right, with Justin Herbert that you could have been coaching and you could have sat there in your cushy broadcasting gig until the ownership there in Los Angeles decided that they could move on from that Brandon Staley contract, which seems to have been the problem thus far. There was going to be, in other words, more positions opening up, even if you didn't yep. like the landscape as we headed into this season. You chose that job because, in part, you chose that quarterback. Totally. And it's weird to me that it's looked as disjointed as it has looked. But again, I think some of the narrative has been a bit false and I end up in this weird situation where I defend all Wilson's okay and yeah. I don't know when that you know but Amber Wilson Russell Wilson Zach Wilson it's I would do that with all Zaslow's but we're hard to come by <laughs> 
especially in sports. No offense. Uh, so Russell Wilson, uh, there's a plethora of us uh, all around. Uh, Russell Wilson, I have found myself saying this season, we're, we're too, like we, it's, it's simplifying it too much. It's putting the onus on the quarterback because, frankly, football is incredibly complicated, and most of us that have never played it could only ex- only understand it to a certain degree. And so it's easy as a yeah. fan base or it's yeah. easy as a country to just point the finger at that guy because that's the point guy we know the Point the finger at the quarterback or point the finger at the at, coach. At the so coach. easy. So easy. It's the low-hanging fruit. I feel yeah. like that's what's happened this season with Russell Wilson, but it's harder to defend coming off of last night. I, I think, for me, I think Sean Payton – looks worse than Russell Wilson. You know, Sean Payton, look look at the course of events here. Yes, you're 100% right. He could have the pick of the litter of any job he wants. He chose to come out of his, you know, pseudo-retirement in part because he must believe, hey, I'm going to go to a situation where I have a veteran quarterback who has won a Super Bowl before, who is coming off of a terrible season, who I can fix because they all have the massive egos, right? No, 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 I could fix him. And as a result, it's let me also tell everybody how terrible the previous coach was, and it was his fault and how awful he was. Well, what ends up happening? The staff that that coach is now a part of, they won by 10 points a couple weeks ago. They beat you. You look terrible. They're 1-5 now. They are worse than they were last year before Sean Payton got there. Then you look at the situation with the quarterback. Look, football, NFL, it's such a hard game. It's so hard to win on a week-to-week basis. If we could see it, you know that in that building, everyone knows the quarterback-head-coach relationship is not good right now. And Russell Wilson definitely feels it. How hard must it be to be Russell Wilson where you know the coach who definitely is going to be there longer than you're going to be, if not just because the contract is longer, the coach does not like you and the relationship is not going well. Terrible body language towards Russell Wilson, Amber. How about the wristband? You noticed last night Russell Wilson had, had the wrist placard on with all of the plays and what was it a couple weeks ago where Sean Payton talking about Russell Wilson's quarterback play where he said something in such a uh, – uh, like, like it was condescending where he said, if we got to wristband it, we'll wristband it. That's, that guy's a, that's a Super Bowl winning quarterback you're, you're speaking that way about. And then the whole, I need you to stop kissing babies. You're not running for political office. Like, it's so hard to win games at that position. And I really think Sean Payton is making it even more difficult for Russell Wilson. I think that when you talk about quarterbacks and you talk about the egos, and there's been a lot of piling on with Russell Wilson and the parking spaces and the office and yada, yada. I think a lot of that, frankly, has everything to do with who he's married to. I'm just going to say it. I really do. I don't think if he was married to a beautiful, successful star that frankly we would necessarily pile on Russell Wilson the same way but he in his own way he also comes off very happy go lucky too right although right now it seems like he hates life he's kind of been easy to hate on like he's like become that guy and it's it's the success and when he was in Seattle he was great and I think people forget how great he was I mean so good he was the quarterback with the most wins through the first nine years of his career he was a Super Bowl winning quarterback right that ego came from somewhere but 
at some point when the ego's there and the success is there for a long time, you kind of become easy to hate anyways. And then now you add the Sierra effect. You're, you're, you know, married to, to her. And so your star rises above just beyond football as Russell Wilson does. And, and so people start talking about you a certain way, nitpicking you a certain way. Then he goes to Denver and it's a total dumpster fire, right? And some of the way that his former teammates have spoken about him does not help the entire help. narrative. It doesn't help. What Sean Payton has done here has been weird to me because I agree with you. He doesn't take that job if he doesn't think he can fix all of that. And yep. if he doesn't, and if you don't take that job, if you're Sean Payton, if you don't, if you actually think that there's any credence to that narrative that I just referenced, and yet he takes the job and then he kind of piles on and adds to it in the ways that you just reminded us of. And I think Amber, weird. I think we're in a place where, or, or close to a place where Sean Payton is going to is going to want everyone to see what he believes now is not a good quarterback and that it's Russell Wilson's fault that everything is going awry now and I tried but not even I can fix this guy like I don't think he's making life and I don't think he's going to make life any easier for Russell Wilson cuz I think he wants a divorce and he wants a divorce really soon Okay, but how do you get that divorce? I don't know. He signed a $245 million contract extension. It it pushed the total It's a pretty unprecedented situation. years, $296 million. How do you get out of it? I don't know. You don't. That's the problem. Unless Russell Wilson wants to retire, unless that's the goal. By the way, the scoregami from last night we referenced was not a scoregami in that Chiefs-Broncos game where the Chiefs beat the Broncos 19-8. to not a scoregami because it happened in 1927. Because everybody of course, remembers that the New York Yankees they beat the Buffalo Bisons. Yes, oh, we're talking Bisons. football, people, not baseball. Football. It was Wednesday night football. Zazzo. Oh, it's a tough environment. Wednesday night football. Everybody <laughs> knows that. The travel, the short week. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. In 1927, Wednesday night football. Here we are. Same score. Thursday night football. This one not as exciting. College football on ESPN Radio. It's an SEC showdown in Knoxville when the 19th-ranked Tennessee Vols go head-to-head with Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. To Coverage begins tomorrow at 3 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Presented by Dr. Pepper. It is week seven of the college football season. I think we've got four ranked matchups headed our way this week in college ball. A heck of a week here. Week seven of 14. Jonathan Zaslow filling in for Ian Fitzsimmons tonight. But let's bring in the man, the myth, and the legend, Ian Fitzsimmons, allegedly my co-host here on Amber and Ian. And Ian, you're not here tonight because you are in Knoxville, Tennessee for Texas A&M, Tennessee. Coverage of that begins right here on ESPN Radio at 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. You are quite literally in your old stomping grounds. Uh, yeah, I mean, the SEC is my old footprint, right? I mean, uh, I've covered this conference for years and years. I got my butt kicked here back in 1990. I was a freshman, a uh, two-story. I was a freshman at Alabama, and Lee Corso referred to this game as men versus boys. Gene Stallings in his first year as the head coach at Alabama in 90, was already on the hot seat. And this was almost a must-win game before social media and everything else. That, that's how rabid fan bases can be, not just in this conference, but Ohio State, 
Oklahoma, you know, the Blue Bloods. And it was almost a must-win game in his first year. And remember, he goes on to win the Natty and beat the unbeatable Miami Hurricanes with Michael Barrow and all, all those. Um, Gino Toretto was going to win the Heisman, right? I mean, and then he gets his butt kicked by Alabama. Lamar Thomas, George Teague, that a remarkable game. But if, if Stallings doesn't win this game, he, he might have been blown up. And, and that, that legendary head coach at Alabama and a statue of that man is never erected. And I come in as a freshman at Bama. We, we drive up, and we t- I talked a bunch of noise, and I deserve to get my butt kicked. Wow. I, I mean, I, I feel like well, I'm there's there, – right? Zaslow, where well, do you want to go first? You, you yeah, go, like – You remember on, that time, Zaslow, that, that you said that it was – you know, you deserved every punch and every kick and, right. and your teeth getting knocked <laughs> out? Like, remember that time in your life you said that? I feel like there's so, there's so much more to that story <laughs> that we just don't have the time for. There I feel like really the, is. Trust yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's a good story <laughs> over, like, some beers, you know? Involved, right? I mean, I may not have eaten enough during that day, and I may have been that guy in the state. There you go. Man. Uh, hey, is is Jimbo Fisher in trouble? What's going on there? Oh, man, that's a great question. What's the price of oil right now? Uh, mm-hmm. Because if, if it's as high as I think it is, and those oil tycoons at A&M, they, they've got that money to buy him out in their couch cushions. Uh, they, he's lost two games this year, not just him. I mean, the team has lost two games this year uh, in extraordinary fashion. I mean, you know, everyone and, – and Amber, we, we talked about this last week, you know, where anybody was talking about – you know, the demise of the Bama dynasty, you're a football fool. I mean, they're not done by any stretch of the imagination. Watching Nick Saban in person behind his bench with three minutes to go in the game at Starkville against Mississippi State, Zaslow up 40-17, to 17, and Saban is just eviscerating players. I mean, almost breaking his headset. The man needs coaching like we need oxygen. And so anybody who thinks Bama's done, you're, you're a football fool. So having said that, you know, A&M's right there with them and almost beats them. And they blew that game against Miami. And so, you know, you, you look at two close losses, and a player, you know, goes goes one way or the other in either one of those games, and we're having a different conversation. But that's like, you're right, man. I mean, it, it's, it's a legitimate conversation right now. And I promise you, living in the state of Texas and having a bunch of, you know, friends of mine uh, begrudgingly that are Aggies, which my plane was full with them. I, if I hear one more whoop, I swear to you, I'm going to punch somebody right in the face. But, I um, mean, it's <laughs> – you know, it's it's they're tired. They they pay the man a boatload of cash to come in and not just contend for the college football playoff, but make it and go contend for a title. And they haven't sniffed it yet. And he brings in Bobby Petrino to change everything. It's worked to a degree, but they're still losing those close games against marquee opponents. Right? Steve Adazio is his O line coach. I mean, he he's got head coaching experience on his staff. And it still has not taken them to another level. So this is one of those games where you bring up a good point. I mean, he doesn't win this one tomorrow. Uh, those dogs aren't just going to be barking. They're going to be hunting. Well, and they'll, of course, fall out of SEC West contention. So who's this more important for? Because Tennessee, on the other hand, they've still got to play Alabama. They've still got yep. to play Georgia on their schedule. So who is this game more important for tomorrow, Texas A&M or Tennessee? If I make you choose. Well, I mean, I'd say equally, Amber, and I'm not trying to ride the fence there, but you, you, you just said it, right? I mean, Tennessee's trying to stay in the hunt in the SEC East to go contend, uh, you know, and, and, and go to the SEC title game. And, you know, I mean, Jimbo and, and, and the Aggies are trying to stay in contention in the SEC West, uh, where, I mean, they're still alive. Yeah, but man, he, they lose this one. And, again, like I just mentioned, there's going to be a lot of angry oil ty- tycoons down in College Station and outside of College Station in Houston all the way to Dallas.
So I, I would, I mean, I, I'm not riding the fence here, Amber. I would say it's almost, well, having said, you know, a guy's job is might be in jeopardy. Um, and I'm not saying it at, you know, if you lose this game, they're going to can him. I mean, they would never do that in the middle of the season, but if they, if, if the Aggies lose this game tomorrow, he's got to have a, they have not just, not just they, but he has to have a heck of a run to finish the season. So I guess I'm going to go with Texas A&M to answer your question. I just switched around right there. Bam. I jumped off the fence. Amber, you like that? You nailed the landing though. Ian, can you really? I got torn ACL landing that. I really do. I think I did. (laughs) Ian, is it strange to you that Notre Dame is a a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home tomorrow to USC? Am I the only one who thinks that that's odd? Have you seen USC's defense? Yeah, right. It's non-existent. You know what drives me nuts about that is Alex Grinch, a defensive coordinator. I mean, he was exceptional at Washington State. That's why Ohio State hired him. He was so good at Ohio State, Lincoln Riley – paid him a truckload of money to come to Oklahoma and brought him to SC. His guys are, if you go watch the tape, man, his guys are in position to make plays. They're just not making the tackle. So it's not the scheme. I mean, what are you doing in practice? You know, I mean, and there's limit. Look, let's be honest. There's limited full contact now in college football. It's almost like the NFL where most teams just thud. And if you don't know what thud is, folks, that's where you just hit a guy and you don't take him to a ground. You just wrap him up and then let him down softly. Uh, I don't know if, if that's part of the problem at SC, maybe they need to try and have a, a, a little more contact. You know, going remember the Titans. I love me a little contact, Petey. You know, I mean, I don't know what you have to do, but <laughs> that that SC defense is absolutely horrendous. So to answer your question, that is the answer right there. Ian Fitzsimmons joining his own show here on Amber and Ian, Amber Wilson, Jonathan Zaslow tonight. So USC doesn't have a defense. They have a quarterback, though, in Caleb Williams. Have you seen right now for the Heisman contention with the odds, the top three contenders as it sits right now for this race are all from the Pac-12. The last time that happened, Ian, all three from one conference, if in fact it plays out and ends the year like this. And we've got three guys in New York from the same conference. That has not happened since. Since the 1970s, the Pac-12 is a cooking. They're the deepest conference in college football, and I don't expect all three to be in New York. But when you look at Michael Penix Jr., uh, he's averaging nearly 400 yards passing a game, and he's at 399.2. Right, so let's just go ahead and give him the 400. I'm going to go round up, even though it's not mathematically appropriate. You got Bo Nix, which, by the way, those two. I've done that game, Oregon, Washington. Which Washington, by the way, I mean, it is majestic, man. You got Lake Washington right there. The wind comes in. You know, the sound reverbs off those canopies toward the – it's designed to reverb toward the opponent's bench. And those two teams despise one another. This is one of the most underrated rivalries in all of college athletics, like maybe in all of sports. So you've got two Heisman candidates going at it in that one. And then Caleb Williams, USC, going up against Notre Dame. Somebody is going to drop out, and, and who, who knows what it is. Ian, I don't think I'm necessarily showing my Miami bias by asking you about the Hurricanes. You, you, you and Amber haven't been on this week. I want to hear some of your thoughts on what took place in Miami brain Gardens fart. last weekend. Yeah, that's it. I got, I got two words. Jonathan, brain yeah. fart. Yeah. That's it. Brain yeah. fart by Mario Cristobal. And he admitted it, saying he should have taken, taken a knee. It's, it, it's simple math. A zygote can do that math, right? <laughs> Just take a knee. I mean, it's, I, I didn't get it, uh, I didn't, and, and I, I like the fact that he owned up to it. Now let's see how his boys come back and, and, and respond to losing a game that they should not have lost. And by the way, it shouldn't have been that close, let's be honest. But it was. It happens in college football. How you don't take a knee there when you have so many seconds on a play clock, and then, oh, my gosh, look at this. 
the down, the down. Oh, wait, it's 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 more. Just take a knee and the game ends. It made no sense. Brain fart. That's the only way to describe it. Jonathan Sazler filling in for Ian Fitzsimmons tonight, but Ian Fitzsimmons is on the phone with us from Knoxville, Tennessee, where he is covering Texas A&M at Tennessee tomorrow, kickoff in that game, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. So Miami will get another opportunity here to redeem itself against UNC, one of the double-ranked matchups that we have our way this weekend. You mentioned there that Oregon-Washington game. That's where game day is tomorrow. The weather, surprisingly, in Washington from the McAfee show and everything. I've seen college football live today. It's beautiful in Washington today. Not a cloud in the sky. There's actually sun in the sky. What? I forgot that when I went there. Right? I, listen, <laughs> my, my sister still lives in Washington, the state of Washington. She's lived out there for, for decades. I, I've never, in any of my times visiting her, have I ever seen that, uh, frankly. But there it is. Apparently it exists. So we'll see what the weather's like for kick tomorrow in that one. Some big games coming our way this weekend is the point, Ian. What else are you hot on? Is there something we're overlooking? Yeah, you know, I would say you, you, uh, maybe Arkansas, Alabama. I want to see how Alabama responds after a big win at Texas A&M, uh, and I, I think they will. They're a massive favorite. I think uh, I think the line now is around eighteen to nineteen points. But you know, it's also I, I can't get off this this you know this Oregon Washington game. I mean, it, it is it is that big. The, the, look, CBS is here for this one. It, it's the marquee three thirty kick. You know, Texas A&M and Tennessee. It, it's arguably the biggest game. In the Southeastern Conference, you know, uh, this weekend, but I can't get off of it. I really can't, and and that is how massive this remarkable rivalry is out in Seattle. If you've never been, folks, I mean, Husky Stadium is—it's a treasure. It, I, I can't emphasize it enough. So to answer your question, the four ranked matchups, and you know, maybe keep a sneaky eye on Purdue catching eighteen. I think it maybe eighteen and a half. It came down from twenty and a half down to eighteen, and maybe back up to eighteen and a half. Could Ohio State be peeking ahead and looking ahead to Penn State on the horizon? The Boilmakers have had their number in the past. Ohio State, Purdue coming your way at noon Eastern tomorrow. Ian, where are you eating? You've always got a food story. You're in Knoxville, Tennessee. What's on the slate? We destroyed Calhoun's. Destroyed. Uh, Calhoun's on the river. Phenomenal barbecue. The brisket was phenomenal. And the ribs fall off the bone. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely always... spectacular. I will have meat sweats for about the next six, seven hours. And I'm all about it. I have no problem with that. Uh, wake up tomorrow morning and just maybe try and squeeze in some breakfast before we head over to the stadium around 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. But Calhoun's in Knoxville, there's three locations. We went to uh, the one on the river, and my God, Magnum, it was absolutely spectacular. <laughs> it is always barbecue with you, Ian. I am noticing a theme. I what guess it's convenient you're normally I mean, in the SEC. Know, it's Lubbock, Texas, right? I mean, you got to go eat <laughs> you, right? I mean, so they, uh, last week it wasn't. It was Manny's Steakhouse in, in, in Minneapolis. Our well, man Myron Metcalf gave me that one. They got you out of the South for a minute, and apparently you actually uh, went fancy for a moment in time there with the steakhouse, but you're back to your barbecue roots. Ian Fitzsimmons. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Ian. See you guys. See you. Week seven of the NFL kicked off for us last night, but there are a whole lot of games left for us to break down. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian with Jonathan Zaslow filling in for Ian Fitzsimmons, we will play some Got One NFL style. Sunday on ESPN Radio. The Texas Rangers head south down I-45 to Houston to face the defending world champion Astros in game one of the American League Championship. 
Game 1 of the Rangers and Astros. Coverage begins Sunday at 7.30 Eastern with first pitch at 8 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Jonathan Zaslow filling in tonight for Ian Fitzsimmons here on Amber and Ian, which is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Find him at Zaslow's show. You can find, find me. me as well. You can find him at Amber W Sports is how you find me. You can also listen to him at the Zaslow Show 2.0, available wherever podcasts are available. It is week seven in the NFL, Jonathan Zaslow, seven of 18. here, six of 18. Just kidding. Seven in college. You know what I'm talking about. I've got college on my mind from talking to Ian last segment. It's six of 18 I mean, that dude here. just oozes college. He is so college football. Nobody loves college football more than Ian Fitzsimmons. In fact, I'm not sure anybody loves anything as much as Ian Fitzsimmons loves college football. He might love college football more than I love anything. Yeah, I know. I mean, he may – I mean – like, I love my family a whole, 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 whole lot. But yeah. do I love them as much as he I mean, there, there are things I, I, I love the Miami Heat. I love Pearl <laughs> Jam. But I don't know that I love those things the way Ian Fitzsimmons mm-hmm. loves college football and loves college football towns. I'm sure your wife appreciates that you went Pearl Jam and the Miami Heat there. Uh, so – he loves college football. We do as well. We also love some NFL football. Let's play some Got One. Amber and Ian got one. We got one! Harry Black is filling in tonight for James Steele. Hello, Harry. How's it going, you guys? Hey. All right. We are. Go- By the way, Zaz, I love the Pearl Jam name drop right there. Oh, that was goodness. awesome. It's really not that awesome, Harry. It really was. First of all, Harry, you're far too young to like Pearl Jam. Second of all, Zazlo, by him saying he likes Pearl Jam, what he means is he's obsessed with Pearl Jam. He's been to like 26. 45 concerts. Okay, 26. 26. Something it's completely not irrational. Though. It's not competition. <laughs> 26 concerts. He has an app on his phone, I can yeah. confirm, that tracks all the concerts he's been to. and all How the songs I going to keep track of my stats? All the songs he's heard them play live. <laughs> it is... It's pathetic is what it is. Do you want to know how many times I've heard even flow? I'll tell you. I, I don't. I don't care. I, I, 1995 called, and it wants its song back. Go ahead, Harry. All right. Let's start over in London. The Ravens are favored by four and a half over the Titans. The Ravens have only played in London once. That was in 2017. They lost by a franchise worst 37 points to the Jags. So, Amber, who you got? weird about this game because the way that these games have been going in London is a bit hard to predict and there's a lot of factors there with that Zaslow but rest appears to be one of them when you travel appears to be one of them Baltimore this week has been saying all the right things they seem to really be embracing the London experience Lamar Jackson seems to be really enjoying it over there but Baltimore's a weird team I mean they couldn't catch anything last week quite literally could not catch anything his receivers are not helping him Lamar Jackson has not been as accurate as frankly he needs to be I don't love this Baltimore Ravens team I thought it was going to look better than than it has under Todd Munkin I understand there's growing pains there even Zay Flowers I thought was going to be a little bit better although he's come around of late and yet this Tennessee Titans team leaves everything to be desired so I'm going to go Ravens here Zaz but I don't love it yeah I I like Tennessee here Uh, both teams obviously the, the travel affects both of them but the Ravens are coming off of as physical a game they're going to play all year last week against Pittsburgh that takes a little something out of you. And then you have the travel situation to London. 
I think it works against them coming off that game against the Steelers. I like Tennessee. All right, let's, let's move on to the West Coast. The L.A. Chargers play host to the Cowboys, who are two-point road favorites. So, Zaslow, who you got? Yeah, I, I like the Cowboys to bounce back at the Chargers. You know, you, you got you got a Charger team at home that doesn't have a real home field advantage. We know Dallas is is a little disappointing at this point. They're three and two, and their three wins are against terrible, like terrible teams. Okay, Giants, Jets, Patriots, Cowboys are due for not a signature win, but a win they could feel good about. I think it's this weekend. So we just saw the Cowboys get absolutely blown out and manhandled. Right, their three wins coming against teams that are combined four and eleven. They've had two blowout losses in their losses this season. I get all of that. However, you are talking about a Cowboys team with the players there on that D-line. The Chargers have their own defensive issues. If you block them up front, which Dallas can do, they can get something cooking here against the Chargers. They need a big bounce back getting blown out this past week in the manner in which they did against San Francisco. I think Dallas gets it together here against this Chargers team. This is a statement game, I think, for Dallas. I'm not suggesting they're going to blow out the Chargers, but I think that this dub is of the utmost importance, so I think that they're going to get it. Okay, on over to MetLife Stadium. The Eagles are six-point road favorites when they take on the New York Jets. The Eagles have never lost to the Jets in a regular season game. It's crazy. So, Amber, who you got? Uh, Zach Wilson had his best game against a Kelsey brother. Is he going to have his best game against the other Kelsey brother? It's hard to imagine. Yes, Zaslow. I defend all Wilsons. Okay, I've been known to. Uh, I defend Zach Wilson, which has really only worked out well for me that one time that he won that game against that other Kelsey brother. It's hard for me to do it here. A lot of people in Philadelphia hate me because I had the audacity to say maybe they'd be a smidge worse, like a smidge worse than last season, which means, you know, maybe they won't find themselves in a Super Bowl. Philadelphia uh, has banned me from the city forevermore. Nevertheless, I think I got to give Philly the nod here. Yeah, if we were talking about the six points here, I would like the Jets to cover. But that's not what we're doing here. We're just picking the winner. So I like the Eagles. And matter of fact, I think the Eagles are coming off a really good win last week against the Rams. I mean, they, they put them away. They didn't give them an opportunity late in the game. They, they, they left no doubt late in the fourth quarter there against L.A. I think the Eagles finally got like a win they could feel really good about because otherwise they've been playing tight games. I like the Jets to cover here. I like the Eagles to win. All right, we got about 10 seconds left. Colts at Jags. Jags are four-and-a-half-point oh. favorites. Go, Amber. Uh, Jags. Jags. There you go. That's how you get it done. I'm doing that because it's the Gardner Minshew game, right? Fine. The Jags feel like they're actually finally figuring some things out. Coming up next, we're figuring some things out as well. A disgruntled 76er finally breaks his silence. He says all the things, frankly, that we expected him to. We will get into the James Harden situation. That's next. Hey, it's your resident Super Bowl champ, Chris Cannon. Coming up Monday, Cowboys legend Emmett Smith joins us in studio 730 Eastern to talk all things Dallas. It's Unsportsmanlike 6 a.m. Eastern right here on ESPN Radio, ESPN2, and ESPNU.